Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. For my opening thought, uh, something I've seen a lot, it's in a lot of different fictions. It happens in science fiction when you deal with alien races. It happens in fantasy stories a lot, probably way more than it should. And it's the blood oath. And a blood oath requires you extract blood from yourself and maybe put it in a vessel of some sort or something ceremonial. But most of the time, it's a blood oath is you have to cut your hand and shake hands with someone else who has also cut their hand so that your blood intermixes uh, and you've, you've formed sort of a bond. Now, that's fine. I'm not really going after the blood oath here. But the thing I've noticed is when people do blood oaths in stories and fiction, uh, they tend to cut across the full palm of their hand which seems like a really bad idea to me. In the fantasy situation, way back when, before really good medicinal technology, I suppose it's okay if you have uh, magic healing properties available to you, like actual magic, like some guy who can do some magic that will heal your hand instantly. But a blood oath in that situation is very prone to infection. Your hands are probably one of the worst places to get a cut at that time because your hands are going to be dirty all the time. So you're, you're increasing the chances of infection greatly. But I think my main point is that the cut doesn't necessarily seem to have to be that big. You don't have to cut the full palm of your hand to make one of these O's. You could do a smaller incision, uh, perhaps a little deeper. I don't know if that's better or worse, but I think it would be easier to cover and therefore protect against the elements, and again, infection specifically, you could still extract blood that way. Uh, if it requires a volume of blood, your hand might not even be the best place to do it. Maybe the fatty part down at the bottom of your hand, you could cut and it would bleed more regularly. It just seems to me that any sort of oath that then requires several stitches is probably not the best process for actually making that oath. If it is absolutely necessary that blood needs to be involved, I think there would be better ways to do it. I mean, cutting the edge of your finger, you could squeeze out a small amount of blood, mix that, and you could do like a little finger touch with your friend and blood oath that way, kind of like kids do in, in kids' movies. Or, if a larger volume of blood is required for the blood oath, uh, you could maybe do it from a different part of the body, maybe sort of the middle of the forearm you could cut there. Uh, it's sort of easier to protect in your hand. It's, it's, it's less functional. It moves less, which means you're not going to rip the stitches as easily. I mean, I haven't fully thought this out, obviously, because I don't have an alternative to the way they do the blood oath. It's just when I see a blood oath, about halfway through the cut, I'm like, that's enough. You can stop now because you're going to get as much blood as you need. You're done. But they keep going, and I think that's for primarily dramatic effect, which I, I am actually on board with. It's just in moderation is what I'm looking for. Let's, let's not go cutting 
as deeply and as thoroughly as we can all the time. Let's make the oath. I mean, let's seal that bond. I'm on board with the sealing the bond. Let's not ruin our hands for that, though, because your hands in all these stories are quite necessary. You're going to be working with them. You're going to be using swords, shooting guns, whatever you do. Today's Quora question, what does smart people talk about compared to less smart ones? So I think uh, you can see my first problem with the question is that it's not actually written correctly. It might be the right word for it. This, again, is a very classic Quora question. It's what attracted me to the site, and one of the things that I come upon regularly as I start reading through the questions is these very regular questions about how can I fake being smart. The classic answer on the internet is quantum physics and things like that. People who are not smart, who are pretending to be smart, who want to talk about smart sounding things, talk about physics, and the people who want to go a level beyond that start talking about quantum physics. The thing is, I have met some very smart people and they do not spend any time talking about quantum physics. What they usually spend their time talking about to other people are things that other people find interesting. If they're with a group of like-minded individuals who are all very intelligent, who all know about medicine, they will probably talk about medicine. If they all know about finance or that's a relevant story at the time, they will talk about finance. If they are talking to people who are maybe not on the same level of intelligence, they will probably talk to them about things that are interesting to them and try to introduce some interesting elements. But this question, if reinterpreted, is actually how do I fake being smart or what things can I study to then introduce into conversation so that people think I'm smart. And then when people don't understand what I'm talking about, I can turn around and say, well, this is something that smart people talk about. You wouldn't understand it. So really, I think the answer to this question is to stop trying to fake being smart and actually go learn some stuff so that you are smart. Again, I don't think IQ is really set. I don't think you have that many limits. I think if you study things, you will gain knowledge. So if you feel that you are not a smart person, you can try to learn. And anything you learn will improve. I am not turning into a motivational speaker anytime soon, is something I just realized. Cora question, where can I meet Yakuza during my trip to Japan? It's actually not that hard to meet Yakuza. You just have to go to places where criminal elements are very common. So you can go to places where you get a loan. Uh, they're often referred to as loan sharks. They're full of Yakuza. You can go to clubs that are very shady, that do illegal things, and they are probably run by Yakuza. The question that I think that isn't being answered here is probably, why do you want to meet Yakuza? Because Yakuza have a very fanciful image in media. I mean, they're always... Uh, portrayed as having a code of honor and being sort of more honorable than, or some kind of noble holdover from a, a past time when compared to other criminals or criminal organizations. But the reality is very different. These are mafia and they commit crimes. They might do it in ways that are different from what happens in your culture back home, but you should never forget that they are criminals and their single purpose is to exploit you in any way they can. I've actually done podcasts about meeting criminals in other countries. I did one on meeting criminals in Korea, and I've met some Yakuza in Japan by accident. I didn't go seeking them out. The thing that you can take away from my stories is they were always terrifying. I did not want to spend my time with them because 
you never knew if they were actually your friends or if they were going to exploit you or if you're going to get in trouble or if suddenly they were going to turn on you because at the end of the day, they are criminals. So to the very naive person that's asking this question, because I'm terrified they might have seen that weird movie on Netflix where the white guy becomes a Yakuza and think, wow, isn't that a great life? I should do that. That is not how it's going to work. What's going to happen is you're going to meet up with some Yakuza and they're going to hang out with you and laugh and then they're going to get you drunk or drug you and take all your money somehow. That would be a much more realistic ending to that story than I suddenly become the white nobility within the Yakuza group. So just to clarify, where can I meet Yakuza during my trip to Japan? Don't. Some hard realities as an answer to this question is you're being an idiot and you shouldn't do that. You should not go seeking out criminal elements unless you want to end up being ripped off. If that is your actual goal, if your actual goal is to be abused in some way and have people take from you, you should go seeking that out. Otherwise, you might want to be a little more sensible in what you do. That is a grumpy Uncle Peter answer to that question. Something that I've wanted to do, but it didn't, I didn't necessarily fit the format, but now I'm basically just talking about whatever I want in each segment. I've wanted to do positive reviews of things, basically things I liked. And I had planned out doing one on watches, uh, one on headphones and stuff like that, because these are things I buy a lot of. I don't necessarily consider myself an expert, but I do buy a lot of watches, which is a weird thing. Uh, I buy a pair of headphones maybe every year, sometimes twice a year, because I use headphones so often. So I've tried a bunch. I could say which ones are good and which ones are bad. Recently, I found a mobile game I liked. I used to be a games journalist. I did games journalism for like a year. So I feel like I do have a position I can take on this and actually talk about it with some authority. I don't, again, I don't claim to be an expert, but mobile games are hard to find ones that are actually really satisfying or really ones that are fun to play because I think primarily the problem is controls on a phone are quite difficult to master. It's either too many controls or it's too simplistic and it doesn't have any sort of depth. So the challenge gets dropped away. Usually they'll just make it hard by speeding everything up, which actually isn't satisfying like these sort of uh, music rhythm games. And it just goes faster and faster and faster until it becomes physically impossible to keep up with, except for like that incredibly small percentage. They usually are posting videos on the internet because they have some sort of weird ability the rest of us don't have. But these are games that I found satisfying. And so there's actually not many because I've tried a bunch of games. Most of them I get tired of really quickly, probably like you do too. The first game that I found really satisfying was actually called Smash the Office. And you start out with, I think it was just a plastic bat or a golf club or something. And your character, you press a button, he swings around and you try to move him through an office as quickly as possible and smash as much as, much as you can and then get to the door to get to the next room or the next office. It'll be like a cafeteria, a computer bank, a server room, a room full of desks, that kind of stuff. All mimicking office things. It is generated on the fly, so each room is similar but different. So that keeps it interesting. And there are power-ups along the way. After you create so much damage, you get bonus points and things, and you can upgrade what you're using. So you can get a samurai sword and a chainsaw and all kinds of crazy things. The reason I like the game is because it didn't fall into the mobile trap of making you pay for upgrades. So it did do that a little bit. So it would stop you playing after a while and try to get you to buy some more, I forget what it was, but anyways, more in-game currency so you could keep playing. But one game, once you got good at it or got to the mid to higher levels within the game, could last about 20 minutes and it was very, very intense. 
Smash the Office was one of the most satisfying mobile experiences when I got to the upper levels. And I didn't pay for the game until I got very close to the end. I paid a couple dollars because I played it so much I felt like it was worth paying for. And to me, this is one of the measures of a good game. Do I feel that after playing X amount of days that I should pay for it because I've enjoyed it so much? Because there's lots of games I've played where I never felt like I should give them any money. Usually it's because they're trying to extract money from you and I find that sort of offensive. Where this game gave you the option, it was a long time ago, but I think if I remember correctly, what you pay for is an automatic pickup of coins. So it kind of like magnetizes them to you so you don't have to run around the room. So you kind of move a little faster. But it didn't force that on you. And those 20-minute games I mentioned, that was games that it was really hard to stop because you were getting into a flow and you wanted to keep going and going and going and going. And 20 minutes on a mobile game on one stage is an impressive amount of gameplay. That's one to look at. Uh, Do not download Smash the School or Smash the Mall because those are made by the same maker, but they throw in a lot more mobile elements to try to get you to pay money, and they're just not as satisfying. The next one was actually made by Adult Swim. It's called Giant Boulder of Death, and it is basically an endless running game, and you don't really need to pay for it to enjoy it. So I played it for a couple of weeks. Uh, I got very high in the rankings at one point. I don't bother to check those things. I was playing it a lot, and then after about two weeks or three weeks, I was still playing it, so I felt it would be fair to drop them two or three dollars or whatever they were asking for, some kind of bonus to level up. I think you actually just got more uh, bolder characters. I think you got a pumpkin and some stuff like that. But I found that one had the same sort of feeling. You could play it. It generated uh, random maps as you went through, so it felt different every time, and the challenge was fair. It was hard and it got harder as you went in a good way where you would kind of panic and struggle. What was one of my favorite ones so far is Alto's Adventure. This was one of the games I paid for the fastest. It has a very simple control scheme. Basically, you tap the screen and Alto will jump. You tap and hold the screen, he'll try to do a backflip. And you unlock characters that have special abilities and stuff. But There's only about five characters. It never gets really crazy and the characters abilities build on the previous characters this was one of those games where i just found i again i could play it for a really long amount of time and i found it really satisfying and i paid for it really quickly because all it did was double your income so that is absolutely one worth looking into the final one i started playing about a week ago and i've been playing it every single day is called fishing strike and this is one of the most japanese games i have ever run across I think if you've played Japanese video games, you'll find that a ton of them have fishing mini games. It's something that Japanese games love to throw in. I don't know why it happens, but that's just one of those things. This is like they extracted the video game and just have the fishing mini game. But it is so, so Japanese in its presentation. You have these superpowers that you get. You usually can choose three, but they're represented by other fishing people or anglers, I assume. Those anglers all have like stats and cards and they're all sexy women or really handsome looking men. Uh, But the game, again, is very simplistic. You do reeling. So you, you tap the screen to reel in the fish. You have to struggle with it, go back and forth, and then you use the superpowers and then they recharge and use them again. And you just have to tire the fish out and bring it in. But as you progress through the game, the fish get more interesting, more interesting things happen, and it gets more and more challenging. I haven't paid any money for it yet. I don't think I will. What they do is in this game, they have your fuel run out after a set amount of time. But 
they're pretty generous with fuel. Like I have gotten enough fuel every day that I could play for 30 minutes or an hour almost daily without actually having to pay any money. So I'm pretty satisfied with that. It's got the gem or the coin system where you pay money and you get more gems and more coins, which you can buy more stuff in game, but that doesn't benefit you as much. So I can't see myself paying for this game or paying for the in-game currency because then it will just keep asking for you to do it again and again and again. I haven't finished the game yet. So once I get to the upper levels, I actually assume it gets so hard or so difficult that it's actually pushing you to buy stuff. But if that happens, I'll actually come back and do like a revisit and say that it's not worth paying for, if it's not worth playing, or at least give you a sense of how long I played it for before I gave up. But right now it's been a week and a week on a mobile game, I actually think is pretty good. So this will absolutely not be a regular thing. But every now and then, I figured I would do recommendations. I'm a little hesitant to actually go through this topic and put it on the internet, only because I've actually talked about it with friends, and you can see them kind of retract from the idea, uh, because it sounds like fat shaming. And it sort of is, but that's not actually what I'm talking about when I talk about this topic. And it's something I've seen on the internet, and it's something that made me laugh at first, but the thing that made me laugh wasn't that it was a fat person, uh, an overweight, see, I can't even say fat now. It wasn't that an overweight person was failing at a task or falling down or something. It was what was going on in their head. So to me, this is a living embodiment of the Kruger-Dunning effect. And it's overweight people on zip lines. So the video on the internet is usually a zip line or a rope that goes out over a lake. And you see people swing out on it, they let go, they fall on the lake, and everyone goes, wow, that was great, have a good time. The zip line, you, you grab onto the zip line, and you whoosh into the distance, you go really fast, it's very cool. Then someone who is noticeably unhealthy or overweight gets on the same thing, almost immediately fails to hold on, and falls. So if it's at the lake, they fall and they hit the sand or the dirt right under it. They never actually get to the water. If it's a zip line, they get about two feet and then they fall off the zip line. And everyone goes, oh, like they're shocked. But there is a sincere lack of forethought there in that this person has never tested their grip strength. You have to be able to hold up your own body. So you have to either have the upper body strength for your arms to be able to hold. And more significantly, you have to have the grip strength to hold on to the rope or the zip line to be able to be successful at doing one of these things. Now, these people who are doing it have clearly not exercised a great deal in their life. That's how they got into the situation of being overweight. They have never lifted weights. They have never gripped things for an extended period of time. The Kruger-Dunning effect here is that they don't realize how weak their hands are. They don't realize that their arms are not going to be capable of holding up their own body weight. And it's a very harsh way to learn. And that is probably where the amusement comes in for most people. But as soon as I see that person walking up to the rope or the zip line, I start thinking, why do you think you can do this? Because I watch indoor climbing things and they do a leap from one side to another handhold. And I look at that and go, there is no way I could do that. I could make the jump, but as soon as I started making contact with the wall, I would fall off. It's my hands wouldn't be strong enough or I, my legs aren't strong enough to actually make the jump. I am not physically capable of doing that. And I realize that because I kind of know what I'm physically capable of. I have good hand strength. I do not have the coordination to grab something really small and actually hold on. And I am very heavy. So if I swing, I'll probably fall off. 
So just those factors immediately make me go, I cannot do the thing that that girl that I've seen do. There's a commercial in Japan that I'm actually thinking about. And she's like a world-class indoor climber. And she like leaps around and hangs upside down and stuff. And I look at that and I just know instantly I can't do those things. I'm basically too heavy. I would have to really work on my upper strength. I probably, my hands are strong enough, but my arms aren't. And so the manifestation of the Cougar-Dunning effect is happening right in front of you. Problem isn't that they are fat. The problem is that they're not thinking about what they can do or they're not realizing their own physical limitations because of their lifestyle choices. And I think the reason this resonates with me is that I get into the latter part of my life. I've passed the midpoint of my life. So now things in my body are starting to degrade and I am having trouble realizing things I cannot do. The first problem is there's stuff I used to be able to do that I can't do anymore. The problem is in my head, I can still do them. Physically, I can't keep up. Uh, my stamina has reduced greatly from when I came to Japan about 15 years ago. Because when I came, I was basically at my physical peak. I have degraded since then. So this is something that I personally am struggling with because I want to maximize what I can do, but I don't want to go too far and injure myself. So I'm trying to find limits and I'm trying to rebalance my brain in what I can do and what I should be able to do and what I think I can do, if those statements all make sense. Because I want to push my body to its limit, I want to do as much as I can, but I don't want to go too far and actually injure myself, taking me back 10 steps because I have to recover from an injury. So this is something, I watch a lot of fail videos on the internet. I kind of enjoy them, but I don't enjoy seeing people get hurt. What I tend to get out of it the most is I sit and watch what the person is doing and I kind of want to put myself in their head and say, what is the mistake they've made? What do they think they can do that they can't do? What have they miscalculated? One of my favorite videos was a guy, he was trying to do a jackass style thing. He wanted to jump off a roof into the bed of a moving pickup truck. Now, as soon as the pickup truck started coming and he was moving, I stopped the video and realized he's not moving fast enough to hit the bed of the truck. What's going to happen is the truck's going to go too far and he's going to land on the ground because the truck was moving too fast or he was moving too slow. One of those things needed to be changed. But this guy had not done the mental calculations to get it right. And that is where the fail occurred. When I watch fail videos, this is the kind of thing I'm actually looking at and the part I'm actually enjoying is what calculations do I need to make so that I don't make that kind of mistake in the future? Some of them are just people trying to do crazy hard stuff. A lot of the skateboard fails are just people trying to do incredibly insanely difficult things, uh, flipping in the air, jumping off, landing on things, and they miss. And I don't think there is anything wrong with that, and I don't enjoy watching the pain. But when I see people do stupid things, make bad decisions, I do enjoy putting myself in their mindset and trying to figure out where they went wrong. Have they just not done the calculations? Have they just not thought it through? Do they not understand their own limitations? So this is a moment in a weirdly positive way for you to take stock of yourself. What can you do and what can you not do? Because that is an important lesson to have. Because as your body changes for the better or the worse, you need to realize what you are and what you are not physically capable of doing. So the next time you watch a fail video of any sort, Maybe take a moment and think, what did this person do? What, what made them think they could do it? Was it hubris or was it misunderstanding of physics? 
And then it would be a good opportunity to take a moment of self-reflection and say, what can I do? And more importantly, what can I not do? Because if there's something you can't do, knowing that you can't do it is going to be the first step to actually changing that situation. I don't know how to finish this because I want to spin it into something positive and I don't think I'm capable of doing that. And this shows a lack of planning on this segment of the podcast because I think I've said some offensive things, but I didn't intend to be offensive. So now I'm stuck. So I'm kind of just talking in a circle, which I've done for the last five minutes. I'm going to cut a huge amount of the stuff I just said out. The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. But the thing 